emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence and predictive analytics are dominating today's business headlines and are ushering in a multitude of strategic changes to a variety of industries. Organizations of all sizes are directing massive resources of time, money, and intellectual capital into AI development in a bid to realize market-leading leaps forward in technological capabilities. But where is the zeitgeist that is artificial intelligence development headed? Welcome to If When, Jacob's series of interviews exploring the world of emerging technologies. I'm Paul Teese, your host, and in this episode of If When, we will be discussing artificial intelligence and data analytics with Stratos Davlos, the newly named Chief Technology Officer for AI firm Inoplexis, and Ruben Mayer, Jacob's Global Director and Data Analytics Lead. In his new role, Stratos will be charged with developing an Inoplexis research lab in Silicon Valley to accelerate its AI development for the firm's drug discovery and development program. Just prior to this role, Stratos was the vice president of Watson AI and Engineering at IBM, where he led a team of cognitive technologists to create industrial strength AI Watson products by combining IBM's extensive research and engineering capabilities. As the global director and data analytics lead for Jacob's aerospace technology and nuclear line of business, Ruben is charged with standing up an enterprise-wide predictive analytics initiative that incorporates artificial intelligence and machine learning. His career spans over 20 years of service in counseling governmental and commercial clients on their data strategies. Welcome to both of you. To start us off, I'd like to ask Stratos, what do you see as the top two to three benefits that artificial intelligence can provide to organizations? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having us, Paul. In general, AI helps companies to improve their business efficiencies, make them more competitive, ensure they're in compliance with regulations. It depends on the line of business. So if you're working with a marketing organization, AI can monitor, for example, publications and articles from competitors and kind of summarize their strategic intent. You can imagine how beneficial that can be. If you work in a support organization, AI can improve processes, uh, automate decision-making, automate tasks, behind-the-scenes tasks, and really the promise is to make their employees more efficient and the customers happier. If I was to kind of put the spotlight a little bit in the current business I'm involved, in life science, uh, sciences, um, drug discovery is an issue, and AI is employed to solve this vital problem. So if you do drug discovery, you go through multiple stages. It's very expensive, it's lengthy, and it's risky. So if you, if you think about the drug candidates and how many of those pass at the clinical trial stage, the success rate is as low as 10 to 15%. And that comes after a three to four year investment, a significant amount of money that goes into this. So if you think about uh, Inoplexus, the company that, uh, that, I, that I work for uh, at the moment, they have a purpose-built AI platform that makes drug, drug discovery more efficient and more effective. So it uses some machine learning-driven hypothesis. It generates, for example, potential biomarkers based on uh, unbiased AI models that Inoplexus owns. And these models are built with ex an extensive network of biological validated uh, data. And that data comes from both published and unpublished uh, literature. 
And the outcome is it ensures that the, the models have this high biomarker prediction accuracy that's uh, unparalleled over the traditional methods. And Ruben, I've got uh, the same question for you from where you sit within Jacobs and the aerospace and technology sector. What do you see and like what are your clients seeing as the top two to three benefits that AI can provide to those organizations? Well, Paul, like Strato said, first of all, thank you for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak on really an exciting and rapidly evolving topic. And I think Stratus did a great job of highlighting some of the some of the things that we're also seeing. You know, some of the frees up employees to focus on higher value tasks, greater efficiencies. You know, a couple other things we're seeing things like the ability to rapidly and really at enterprise scale be able to process extremely large quantities of data, and then be able to provide actionable insights. So we had a few years back for one of our clients at Jacobs, we developed and deployed within months, not years, a cloud-based analytic capability on top of a high-performance compute infrastructure. And it had the ability to leverage against AI machine learning models to identify high-frequency trade product. And then, even probably more importantly, then to be able to gather all this data, store it, and then effectively prosecute the, the nefarious traders. So another benefit we're seeing as well, though, is, is companies increasingly need to engage with, with their clients. And artificial intelligence is bringing enhanced capabilities to be able to intelligently interact with customers in a much more real-time nature. So I'll, I'll dive into one specific area to kind of drive that point home a little bit. In artificial intelligence, there's something called uh, natural language process, or you'll hear referred to as NLP. So NLP is basically a substrata of AI that's used to aid computers in understanding how a human being's normal, everyday language works. The goal is for the computer to not only gain this understanding, but to derive meaning and then value from that human language. People often say, well, how's NLP used? So if you've ever been overseas and you've had to use Google Translate, that's an example of NLP-based technology. If you've been on the internet and you've had, you know, you've had like this customer service window suddenly pop up and start offering to assist you and answering questions you might have, those are increasingly automated chatbots that they're really becoming more and more realistic and surprisingly accurate, uh, leaving you often wondering if you're talking to a human or, or, or a machine. And then there's, of course, some of the personal uh, assistant applications, stuff like Siri, OK Google, Cortana, Alexa. Again, NLP. A practical application of this is a few years ago, I, I led a team that we were asked to support a large industry-leading national intelligence conference in monitoring some of their social media traffic coverage throughout the week. And so what we did was we leveraged an industry-leading NLP platform and it had a sentiment analysis tool built in. And we monitored both the real-time feeds as well as delivered daily reports showing summaries of things like number of tweets, uh, top social media platforms generating content, uh, words with sentiment, trending topics. So what we were able to do is provide them insights into positive versus negative sentiment, stuff like, hey, I love the keynote speaker this morning, or things like, man, lunch was terrible today. Comments and sentiments that users were providing back that the NLP, again, substrato of AI, was able to then to interpret and provide insights. And, and basically, these insights were key components of their conference. They were able to address, mitigate, and make the conference experience even better the following year. 
So when we're looking at the benefit of AI to organizations, there's even a ton more than what we've talked about, but these are some of the encapsulations with, I'd say the low hanging fruit we're seeing that are making a very, very tangible difference to, to companies nowadays. You bring up an interesting point, obviously with all the content and all the data that is generated around the world and through organizations on a daily basis. It begs the question, Stratos, you know, what do you think is the most pressing problem for organizations in terms of AI development and like using that data, the massive amounts of data that can be collected? How do organizations attack some problems that might arise with AI? Yeah, I was about to say data, you know, data availability. In fact, data that is ready for AI is one of the biggest uh, stressors for companies. And, you know, the reality is you either have a lot of data, more than you can actually use, or you have no data or no permission to use the data you, you have. There's a known study showing that about 90% of the data in, in the world today were accumulated over the last two years. Uh, so if you have data, how can you make sure that you're actually gaining the insights you need to lead your industry? And that's what companies are going through today. They're saying, okay, how can I leverage the data I have? And then in order to do so, do I need to have access to data scientists or specialists? And as you know, data scientists are rare species. So the other thing that kind of causes, kind of uh, is a pressing problem is how many people do I need to hire and do they have the right skills and do they speak the same vocabulary like I do to understand how they're going to process the data I own. Now, Owning the data is a liability and uh, you can get hacked and you know the, the byproduct of that and the significant uh, marketing hit that you're getting plus all sorts of legal implications of it. You may be infringing upon uh, people's privacy and you're at the mercy of audit and regulations, especially in Europe, we see that. And if you end up having a slither of data that you can use, then you build models. And once you have those models, the next level of anxiety is, okay, they produce some outcomes. How can I explain those? And when those outcomes are produced and I have to, I get sued as a result if I decline a loan because I'm using a machine learning model that was used from the data I have. How can I explain that to a customer or to a judge? Uh, machine learning is also open and vulnerable on adversarial attacks and all these things. So if you just kind of put all of this together, data availability, ability to prepare data for AI, access to data scientists to build some advanced models. And then once you have those models, do they do the right job? And can I protect myself in case of a lawsuit? Are the things that are the most pressing problems that organizations have in terms of artificial intelligence? You really hit on something there because it is trying to get the workforce skilled up to be able to, to deal with these kinds of advances. There's a, a data point I like to quote. It was from a report by the IDC, and they speculated that by the year 2020, the world will generate uh, 44 zettabytes of data. And a zettabyte, it's a one with 21 zeros behind it. That's how much data is getting generated or will be generated on a global basis. So 
this next question I've got is for you, Ruben. It's kind of a segue there. It's uh, I had seen earlier this summer that Accenture had released a report stating that the aerospace and defense industry will be more affected by AI than by any other major emerging technology, with one-third of aerospace and defense executives citing AI as having the greatest impact. And there's an accelerating focus on reskilling their workforce. So the question for you, Ruben, is what are some of the most common questions your clients are asking about AI? So it's funny. It's such a complex topic, and yet the questions we often get are so simple. Um, I get questions like, what is it? People have seen these futuristic, dystopian, technology-run-wild movies like AI, things like iRobot, and they have this perception that may or may not be realistic, and it may not jive with what's currently out there. Interestingly, on, on AI, it's, it's basically essentially a subcomponent of computer science. And it focuses on the development of intelligence within machines. And it's really designed to try to make these machines more human-like in their decision-making. So at the end of the day, it's how do we get machines to think in much more human nature to do like what we talked about in the first question, make things easier, make things faster, more efficient, and let humans really focus on higher value-add work. Now, that general misunderstanding of the basics of what is AI, it leads to other, other basic questions, things like, questions I've actually had. Uh, Can't you just do some AI and ML and show me what's wrong and how to fix it? And it's almost like this, you know, if I just take an algorithm and I throw it at some data, I'll discover the problem and and, and the solution. It doesn't work that way. And I'll pick on the NLP, which I talked a little bit about earlier. So that's really difficult. Let's say you had, if if anybody's had greater than 50% success with any of the series or Alexa's, that's really a credit to how far the technology has come. It's difficult because there's so many intricacies and nuances in the NLP case of the human language. For instance, you're dealing with different languages. You're dealing with slang, sarcasm, context, ambiguity, things like misspellings, colloquialisms. It's funny, an example of the challenge of interpreting just the human language is a humorous incident back in the 1950s when some words were being translated back and forth between the English and Russian languages. And here's the sentence that required translation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, when that same sentence was translated to Russian, then back to English, here's what they came out with. The vodka is good, but the meat is rotten. It just goes to show that translation in general, much, much less so, much more so in a a scenario where you're having to teach computers context and colloquialisms and regionality, it's really, really difficult. But the advances, some of the advances in machine learning, artificial intelligence, compute capacity and capability, they're, they're, they're making some of these horizons now, the here and now, not the distant future. So Stratos, from where you sit, what do you see are, are some of the big misconceptions that people entertain about AI? And, and conversely, what are the realities? I think Ruben hit it right on the nail. You know, people think AI is magical, right? I'm going to buy this AI computer, put, connect it to my network, and now I will figure out how to optimize my business. And that's uh, you know, far from the truth. A- AI really is an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem that includes the computer, the machine, but also the world as it's represented by data and the, the business goals that need to be clearly stated. And also the user or the systems that it actually serves. So these four elements, 
provide the context for AI to be successful. And it's important to highlight that AI is, is really a symbiotic relationship between the, the computer, the machine, and the human. And really the human needs to augment the machine before the machine can augment the human. Another misconception is that really AI is going to take away our jobs. And really the mission of AI from where I stand is to augment human capability. I believe that it's going to create new jobs. So uh, Gini Rometti, the, the CEO of IBM, actually calls this a, a new color of workforce. Uh, and it's not just data scientists that are going to you know, get employed and bring the benefits of this new era. There's also uh, any human can participate in this by you know, doing crowdsourcing and labeling and generating data and validating, so to speak, whether AI is doing a good job. It's not going to take away our jobs. It's going to generate more jobs. The other thing is people really believe that AI is precise. And it's precise just like the way it is when you code or you use a rule or you, you know, you, the way we, we do programming today. And the reality is it's not. It's, not, it's highly accurate, but it reflects the state of the world. And, you know, our, our world is inaccurate with biases and ambiguity and conflicting opinions, and it gets really confusing, especially when you're in the NLP part of it, just like the way Ruben explained how translation from English to Russian and back can, can create a total mess. I believe that once we demystify these things and once we explain that you know, we are departing from explicitly programmed systems and we're moving towards systems that are more data-driven and the behavior is embedded in the data, then we need to invest in the relevant tech to make sure that, that we meet that expectation. So to bridge that gap, there are companies like IBM and Google and others that created capabilities that provide explanations. So when you see an outcome, you can understand exactly why that outcome was made by a machine learning model. You can automatically detect any bias that might be either in the data set or because the system is exposed to a new world, the reality world, uh, you can identify any drift between the system design performance and the runtime design performance and many others. So my advice would be, okay, have the right expectations for AI. Use the right tech to ensure that you breach that gap between the expectations. And that's it. I've run into that too. I think that you do see that there is this kind of mindset that AI is kind of a fix-all or, you know, it's people don't really necessarily understand how it works. They just they have this assumption that it's kind of like some sort of magic that will, will fix things. But one of the things that's really interesting is there's a bit of fear or anxiety about what AI and automation will bring to the workforce. And in fact, like Deloitte just recently released its 2019 Global Human Capital Trends Report, and 64% of the uh, respondents cited AI and robotics as an important or very important issue in human capital. And when you look at it, you know, a lot of that impact where there's some disruptive impact is, is really going to be like at the white collar level, you know, where there's intelligence work that, for instance, accounting or financial services or things that can be automated with algorithms. But 
something that I found really interesting, and Ruben, this kind of hits home for, for Jacobs, is the McKinsey Global Institute did a, a study on occupational shifts attributed to AI, and they found that AI will actually mean employment growth for engineers, architects, infrastructure workers, and others in similar positions. And in fact, the numbers were really uh, kind of pretty startling. Like they're expecting an increase in those occupations by 35% in the U.S. by 2030, and with higher increases in Mexico at 48% and India at 117%. So AI is not replacing jobs or AI is not like replacing work for humans to do, but it's changing the nature of work. Let me ask you, Ruben, what are, what are some of the issues that you are working to solve for and like your team at Jacobs, you know, using AI and data analytics? Yeah, this is a great question. We've, we've been given a lot of uh, taskings from clients, a lot of projects from clients that they're wanting to take traditional issues they've had, whether it be manual data processing, whether it be trying to limit the amount of downtime of, of systems and, and machinery and factories and plants. How can we take this data that they already have and make it more intelligent to drive insights and then make better decisions quickly? A couple quick examples. In North America's hottest desert in Arizona, uh, it's a vi- water's a vital resource, but the problem is it's extremely limited in supply. So Jacobs, we partnered with Pima County, and we've delivered really in a, a truly advanced water reclamation facility, which helps save taxpayers not only millions of dollars, but also augments their, their really, really precious and valuable water supplies. So they had a challenge, though. They had some of the aeration blowers that were, uh, were failing. And anytime there's failure, that's downtime. And the whole process of the water reclamation is just impacted. So how can we, using some of the data, predict, avoid failures in these aeration blowers? What our team did was we, we gathered two years of historical SCADA data. And the SCADA, the SCADA systems are really these computer systems that they gather and they analyze real-time data. And so we took that data, put it in the cloud, and then fused it with CMMS event data. So these CMMS systems are these computerized maintenance management systems, and they basically help out manage an organization's maintenance operations. So we also leveraged artificial intelligence and machine learning, specifically a neural network, in the development of a digital twin to help forecast and predict uh, asset failure by running multiple what-if scenarios with the data we had. The benefit was that we were able to end up predicting blower failures 50 days in advance, thus resulting in increased downtime and replacement costs. Now, a totally different use case of artificial intelligence uh, being used in kind of real world is for NASA. Uh, Jacobs is NASA's largest professional services provider in the world. We do billions of dollars of business with, with NASA, everything from managing plants, managing facilities, to things like the International Space Station. We develop launch control vehicles. 3D printing for on, on board the International Space Station, as well as experimental things like how do we develop 3D printing materials for potential habitable structures on Mars. So these are the kind of things we're doing for NASA. So NASA came to our team and said, hey, listen, what we want to do is our mandate is to have boots on the ground, boots on the moon by 2024. What we want, we'd love to do is we have these millions of images of the moon. We want to be able to take those and leverage artificial intelligence, machine learning to help us predict and recommend an optimal lunar landing spot. 
So what the team did was started working on the really, really basic building blocks of that. You don't just go and, and feed all those to a computer and say, all right, recommend it. You've got to train this model from the ground up. It's really the concept of crawl before you walk. So we developed a cloud-based advanced analytics solution for NASA on Microsoft's Azure artificial intelligence platform, leveraging Azure's cognitive services suite, specifically their AI-based computer vision capability. So what the solution does is it combines facets of AI and machine learning, computer and machine vision, and image processing to automate, and that's the, one of the key parts here, is the automation and binary categorical classification of city imagery. So we fed it all these images of cities. So we had a first train model. So we first ran a binary classification of look at these thousands of images and come out with a decision on if it's a city or not a city. After successfully completing that, we then went on to categorical classification. All right, now which city is it? Is it London? Is it Paris? Is it Rome? Is it Sydney? Is it New York? And then after that, it was basically taking these images of cities and geoplacing them on a map, almost like a puzzle piece. What we found was by using this artificial intelligence capability, we were able to fast track our team's capability via automated tools instead of manual processes to leverage artificial intelligence and to search and analyze these massive amounts of images faster and with higher fidelity. It really resulted in higher accuracy rates, much more quickly trained models, and greater object recognition. And, and this was a huge win for our NASA client. They've actually taken this out of proof of concept and have funded it and moved it forward. That is amazing. I mean, can you imagine the Apollo 11 team having to pour over a million images of the moon to be able to locate where they would put the eagle down, for instance? It's really kind of amazing going back to the idea of you know, we've got so much data and so much content out there now. It's almost impossible for humans, even a collection of humans, to be able to really efficiently pour through that. That's where that idea of the magic of AI comes in is being able to do that. Stratos, let me ask you, you know, Ruben was sharing some of those amazing things that AI is able to do for Jacobs. What do you see where you were sitting with IBM and then also where you're going with Inoplexus? What do you see as the most significant, significant element of AI development in the next few years? Well, I, I tell you what surprises me with AI to date, we made a lot of progress in the field of AI. There's no doubt about it. In particular, if you look at the deep neural networks, the recurrent networks, and some of the sophistication you know, behind BERT and others, there's a lot of innovation that goes into those, and there is a really passionate and enthusiastic talent that innovate every day. The thing that surprises me is the opposing forces on AI. AI is vulnerable to attacks. So robustness is a, what they call for AI is a big issue. To my surprise, there's a concerted effort out there uh, that's trying to manipulate outcomes at runtime in various forms. So you can, you can poison the training data. So if you use data out in the wild or the data a, a company collects uh, has uh, vulnerabilities at the collection point, then you can manipulate uh, the outcomes at runtime. So an adversary can do that. Uh, they can also you know, contaminate theaters and inject noise, either audio noise or visual noise in a scene. Uh, so if you have a self-driving vehicle, 
you, the vehicle stops seeing pedestrians crossing the road by just inserting sticky notes on the scene that the vehicle sees. What I'm saying right now to you, if you had a, an AI system that transcribes it, somebody can play white noise that can confuse the transcription system to have a completely different outcome to what I'm saying. So these are the things that caught me by surprise and I got a lot more exposure to them while I was at IBM. And there is a you know, big group at IBM that's actually looking around corners and trying to mitigate those concerns. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm interested in is organizations and how they can share data. You know, obviously with cybersecurity and data privacy concerns, it becomes a very tangled interchange, but how organizations would be able to share data to empower their AI, accelerate that development, but at the same time, there can be risks. It's fraught with risks, geopolitical risks, depending on who the players are. I can add some color to that, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we're heading towards is AI models that are built without data by creating local models using the data you have access to and then sharing the corresponding gradients in either a um, differential private gradients or homomorphically encrypted uh, gradients with other models and then have a mechanism of merging those gradients. It's called federated learning. And I think federated learning is receiving a lot more attention in our days. Uh, TensorFlow re released a uh, capability like this. IBM has numerous papers and assets in that area. At Inoplexus, we are using federated learning to ensure that sensitive clinical trial data that happen in different regions for different countries are not leaving either corporate walls or those regions for regulatory purposes. Mm -hmm. So how do you build the insights when you're doing drug discovery, drug purposing, using the global data sets? And so federated learning is a technique that we're employing at Inoplexus to make that happen. And Ruben, I, I can imagine that your role at Jacobs dealing with aerospace and defense clients and a lot of sensitive information that has to be handled. I know that also part of your role is standing up innovation work streams within Jacobs. And how do you see organizations using AI and data analytics in support of their innovation activities? So it's interesting that when we look at bringing innovation into companies, people often look at this as a function of technology or a function of people, and they'll try to solve it from that perspective. Now, I'll caveat my answer with, we are not in a technology business. We are not in an engineering business. We are not in a data business. At the end of the day, we are in a people business. This is all about people and how we interact with them, how we engage with them drives pretty much the solutions of everything we do. That being said, the challenge of innovation is not simply a technology or a people problem, although those are factors. I think that the overarching key to achieving innovation across an organization really is integrated into when you solve the culture problem and you solve the cultural challenge. So things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud computing, IoT, cybersecurity, they often run counter to how non-digital companies think and operate. But how does a company effectively change its culture? First, there's, there's got to be a recognition that this is difficult. It's not easy. 
and it's going to take intentionality and top-down leadership. As a result, it's also going to take significant investments of time and resources. And we have to avoid the expectation that this is going to happen in, in weeks or even months. It's going to take longer. I think the second piece is innovation. It's really going to happen when organizations create an environment where employees are encouraged to fail and learn quickly and then be able to pivot and then in an agile manner, iterate. Now, it's got to be counterbalanced with we've got to have an intolerance for incompetence. We, we, if individuals or teams, if they're not learning from their mistakes and getting better actively, then corrective actions and course corrections have to be taken and quickly. There's also got to be some, I think, some constant dialogues that encourage not only open communication, but on the other hand, well, very candid feedback. And I remember, and I've got something here from a Harvard Business Review, they, they encapsulated this really, really well in their January, February 2019 article. And they stated, and I'll quote it, when it comes to innovation, the candid organization will outperform the nice one every time. The latter, meaning the nice organization, they confuse politeness and niceness with respect. There's nothing inconsistent about being frank and respectful. In fact, I would argue that providing and accepting frank criticism is one of the hallmarks of respect. Accepting a devastating critique of your idea is possible only if you respect the opinion of the person providing that feedback, end quote. There's got to be this, this back and forth communication that keeps these lines of dialogue open. Accountability has got to be central to this. So we've got to be able to understand and really clearly articulate the business problems we're trying to solve. But that being said, what you can't measure, you can't manage. So there's got to be metrics that are being gathered to determine how well the organization is performing. And there's got to be some type of regular review process that ensures progress against whatever the stated goals are, these innovation goals, that they're being met or that return on investment metrics are being realized. And I think it's important to restate, we don't want to be in the business of developing solutions in search of problems. We need a strong business case. We need that willingness to place big bets. We need an agile development type of mindset. And then some type of gatekeeper accountability model to know when to exit and when to go full speed ahead towards building and deploying some of these innovative technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Stratus, let me, let me ask you this. Let me kind of shift gears just a little bit here. But uh, we were talking earlier and you had recently left your executive position at, at IBM and the AI team, and you joined uh, Inoplexus. And what informed your decision to join the Inoplexus team? The first thing to say is IBM is an awesome company, right? I, I had the honor and privilege to work with really some of the best AI scientists in the world. So the question is why Inoplexus? It's personal. Over the last two years, I had cancer hitting my family, my my immediate family four times. Uh, one resulted into a fatal outcome. And when that happens, you, you feel hopeless, right? There's no money in the world that can buy the cure. And when you actually look at the drug development business, it's painfully slow, expensive, ineffective, and something needs to be done to accelerate this. And Inoplexus is solving that problem. So to me, besides the coolness of the AI technology they have, they're actually serving a purpose. And that's why I thought it's time for me to kind of shift my energy into something that's very, very meaningful and makes a dent in the universe and helps humanity. So that's the reason I chose Inoplexus. 
thank you for sharing that. I knew you were uh, you're pretty excited about the, this next chapter in your career, and it's a new opportunity. And you know, obviously, when you can marry that to something that's personally meaningful and really hits home, that's a real blessing. So thank you for sharing that. Our last question here for today is for both of you. And Ruben, we'll start with you, and then Stratus, I'll ask you the same question. But Ruben, what would you say is the most surprising thing you've learned working in AI and NLP and data analytics and, and this whole field? What's, what's the most surprising thing you've learned? You know, earlier we talked a little bit about how complex are the applications of advanced analytics, some of their capabilities like artificial intelligence and machine learning are. And the underlying algorithms and computational procedures, they require incredibly skilled analytics needs to really fully develop and enhance and tweak uh, them in order to provide much greater value for very specific challenges. However, we're also seeing that these really advanced technologies packaged and delivered to consumers are providing these really, really accessible artificial intelligence solutions. You're increasingly seeing easy to use interfaces with surprisingly effective results. I'll give a couple examples. So just this week, Tableau, who's one of the industry leading business intelligence and data analytic providers, they announced a new feature called Explain Data. It uses AI to automatically unearth insights more rapidly. So what it does is it, it, it takes the data that they're already working with and it saves these users valuable time. They typically spend manually sorting through mountains and reams of data. And instead, it's continually performing analysis for them in an automated fashion. And it's still very, very new, but what they're claiming is that explained data also helps remove bias in the data while providing a more rigorous outlook of the data. And the bias is a really significant problem in a lot of the industries nowadays with data. And, and Stratus talked a little bit about it earlier. And this is something where, as we're looking to, like you talked about, federating some of the learning aspects and federating some of the data processing, we've got to make sure that the underlying data is unbiased and it's producing results that actually are relevant to broad swaths of the population, not just to specific niches. So additionally, I think Microsoft Office, they've, you know, surprisingly, these are tools that pretty much everyone uses on an almost daily basis, but they're increasingly incorporating artificial intelligence into, into these kind of tools. For instance, at the Microsoft Inspire conference earlier this year, they introduced an AI-powered feature in PowerPoint called Presenter Coach. And when they showed it, it was really, really cool. So it uses machine learning to coach you. And then it delivers a report with tips and suggestions after you've been practicing, and it helps you deliver a more powerful presentation. If you're reading too fast, it's going to recommend you slow down your pace. It also incorporates some kind of contextual understanding as well. So if you say, hey, you're the best man for the job, it'll inform you that this may actually be culturally insensitive and instead recommend an alternate phrasing such as, hey, you're the best person for the job. Likewise, in Excel, They've added a capability, it's right up there on the little home tab, and it's a little button called Ideas. And you click on it, and it takes your spreadsheet and, and, and highlights patterns in your data and brings out new visualizations and insights. And it can identify trend patterns within time series data, things like uh, your costs have increased or decreased over time, or can identify where like a majority of total value is due to simple factors. So things like teenagers account for the majority of your cell phone bill. We're seeing these really difficult and complex kind of things under the covers be presented in a very simple and easy to consume manner for users. We want to be in the, in the business of building solutions and 
and, and not just solutions in search of a problem. And that's where I think it's exciting to look at some of the things that we're seeing in artificial intelligence and machine learning, because these are really functions of problem solving, insight generation. It's, it's important that we continue, we've got to continue to keep our, our clients focused on these bigger pictures of what's your business or mission problem you're trying to solve, and then what's the best solution to solve it, and then turn those into really practical solutions that, that users can quickly and easily incorporate and use to provide value. If I was to add a little bit more color to my answer as to what surprised me, I, I mentioned two things. One was the energy and effort uh, going into AI, and the other one was how vulnerable AI is and the opposing forces with uh, adversarial attacks. Now, when it comes down to the energy we're putting into AI, we actually have a lot of things uh, evolving towards more autonomous systems. So most of the models that we know of are what we call narrow AI. They're like a single task, single domain, kind of superhuman accuracy and speed on certain things. There are a lot of models that today have, have moved from this narrow AI concept to more of a broad AI capability, where they're like multitask, multi-domain, distributed and explainable and multimodal. And those models exist today. So the ability to really analyze an image or read a, a look at a video and identify the most important scenes out of, uh, like, let's say, a soccer game. These are models that today, and to my surprise, are fairly robust. There are also models that are more towards what we call general AI. These are like these cross-domain systems that can learn and reason with broader autonomy. And some of those that I got exposed to are fascinating. So. To me, it's, 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 a, it's amazing how quickly AI is evolving. And it's maybe one of the most impressive and surprising elements that I've seen. Stratos and Ruben, I want to thank you both for joining me today and, and sharing your insights. We just started to scratch the surface of complexity and the energy that exists out there in AI development and what it can mean and what it means for the human workforce and what it means for organizations. So I want to thank you both for, for joining me today. And Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And I look forward to continuing this discussion and seeing more on what's going on in the, in the world of artificial intelligence. Our pleasure. Thanks, Paul.